Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. And before I tell you our guest's name, I just wanted to share with you that every once in a while, I have a moment of brilliance and I get on Google and I put something in like be brave at work or bravery or bravery in the workplace because I'm looking for authors or teachers, you know, people who have an opinion or have had experience in the arena of bravery. And so a couple of months ago, I got on Google and I think I typed in be brave at work and a blog popped up by the individual that we have joining us today. And the blog is called 10 Things Brave People Do Differently. I read it, I loved it because I think it resonates completely with the lessons and observations that we have heard to date on Be Brave at Work. So I'm gonna do something a little bit differently and not introduce our guests. And I'm gonna welcome Rebecca Crespo to our podcast today. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Fantastic. So I'd love for you to start, if you don't mind, telling us a little bit about your background. I think it's a fascinating background, and that's why I didn't want to steal any of your thunder. If you could tell us a little bit about what you were doing and really what you do today to interact in the marketplace. Okay. So um, before, I was working in New York, and I was working uh, basically as a project manager for a design company. And um, then about five years ago, I decided uh, basically to quit the corporate world. Um, so I had packed up all my belongings, put it in a small red suitcase, and basically left my life behind in New York to travel for a year. Now, during that time, of course, I still had to work to fund some of my travels. So I was doing some content writing and copywriting uh, freelancing. And then about two years ago, I decided to settle down uh, sim- like in Spain and the U.S. So I'm a little bit back and forth. But I decided to settle in Madrid, Spain, where I started my blog about minimalism. So my blog is called Minimalism Made Simple. And it's actually a blog and podcast all about minimalism, sustainability, and intentional living, which is where you found my blog post. 
Fantastic. Well, we're going to talk about minimalism in a couple of minutes. I'd love to go back to your story because I know many of our listeners are people who would love to quit what they're doing. They either are not satisfied with their work environment or the relationships they have there or the culture of the organization and you know, quote unquote, do their own thing and stop, you know, working in a way that they are feeling dissatisfied. You know, what did you need to do or how did you think about that? You know, unless you're a secret billionaire and so it was easy just to quit and, you know, fund yourself. You know, what did you have to think about or what approach did you take that made that possible? I think our listeners would love to hear that. Yes. So um, basically, you know, I'm I'm definitely not a billionaire. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was in my 20s when I had quit my job. So, you know, I was only a few years into my corporate career, as you can say. Um, I did have some money saved to fund, you know, my travels for that year. And I I wasn't sure really if it was going to be long term or short term. I wasn't sure if I was going to come back within, you know, maybe six months and say, okay, I'm going to join the corporate world again. It was really a self discovery experience. But um, basically, the way I did it was just, you know, saving enough for me to get through at least six months to one year. And then then I did pick up a lot of that freelance work. I mean, I think you'd be really surprised how much work you can find online. And since I had a background in, you know, um, project management, digital marketing, I kind of was a little bit all over the place in New York as far as, you know, my, my jobs that I had, but it was all within that sector of either, you know, projects, marketing, this type of thing that um, I did have that experience and that experience can transition into a lot of online work that is needed either for startups or you know small time entrepreneurs things like that so today uh when you look back on that decision to leave the firm where you were doing project management uh do you look back with regret or do you do a cheerleader stance saying you know that was one of the smartest things i ever did so I I look back with more of a cheerleader stance, um, basically because it wasn't necessarily that I was running away from that particular job. It was actually a pretty good company that I was working for. So it wasn't that I had a problem with that job. It was more just what I wanted in that moment in my life, which was I wanted to travel. I wanted to explore more places outside of the United States. I wanted more of that adventure. So I was working five years like in corporate in New York and I loved my life in New York. It wasn't that I was running away from anything. I think a lot of people, I guess when they make this type of leap, that people think, oh, you know, she's running away from something. But that wasn't the case whatsoever. It was more just I wanted to fulfill really just some dreams that I had in my life that I was thinking about for a long time. So I was considering traveling and I did plan it, you know, a little bit um, in order to last those six months to a year traveling. But after that, I had kind of no plan whatsoever. Um, but yes, that's just, um, it wasn't, I wasn't running away from my job. It was more that I was really tired of I guess, working for other people, I want, I really wanted to be my own boss, I really wanted to have my own thing. And I really wanted to make my own decisions when it came to my career when it came to work. So it was more me leaving behind um, a, a structured lifestyle, 
and kind of going off and experiencing work on my own and really trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to work on. Well, this is an important lesson, I think, for our listeners, which is as you're thinking about transition, are you running away from something or running to something? Because I think people who are running to something feel better because they, regardless of their current situation, see something that's more rewarding or enhancing to their career and want to go there. People who are running from something may not be making good choices or may make an instant decision that they might regret. So I'm happy to hear that you were the type of person running to something, because oftentimes when I work with clients, I try to get them to think more about where they're going to and less about where they are, because once they leave, it's over right? The experience that they're having, if it is that bad, uh, is over. And so now you have to really focus on where you're going. So I think uh, our listeners would also be curious, Rebecca, you know, what is minimalism? Okay, so minimalism is, there's no one definition when it comes to minimalism. And I do explain a lot a lot about this in my blog, um, because I think everyone has to come to their own definition of what minimalism is. So I can only speak about my personal definition or my personal relationship with minimalism. And it's basically, it's basically having less, but more quality. So not only when it comes to physical items, because, you know, when I left my corporate job to travel, I had to actually, you know, donate a lot of the items that I had. So for that part, that was physical for me, but it's also about clutter that you have mentally. So, you know, kind of decluttering, not only um, the physical items, but your mind and your life and really taking the time to value what is most important in life and what's most important to you. So everyone's values are different. And for me, I think minimalism is really choosing the ability to choose what matters and what's important that aligns with your values. Well, in the United States of America and uh, you might be able to relate to this. We are very uh, object oriented. And in fact, I've noticed over the last couple of years that it seems like every town in America is getting a storage facility, right? Some type of company that's building storage facilities because we have so much stuff, we can't even hold it at our homes. We have to actually rent space to put it into. And so, you know, we live in an environment, kind of the Walmart culture, right? Of buy, 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 buy. Stuff doesn't last as long as it used to. And we replace, we add, we create clutter. And it certainly sounds like your direction and focus and perspective on minimalism made simple is to flip that model and look for less of higher quality experiences. Yes, exactly. Well, fantastic. I hope you have great progress. I you know, certainly would love to be a less cluttered type person. Uh, in 2020, before the pandemic hit, I said to my wife in January, let's not buy one piece of clothing this year. So we have plenty of clothing. We don't need to buy any clothing. Let's just see if we can do it. And we did. So then the pandemic hit, which made it harder to go to stores anyway. But, you know, but we spent uh, all of 2020 not buying any clothing. And I feel it's enhanced me because I now appreciate what I have more. And I'm not just constantly buying stuff and, you know, having so much clothing and really using what I have more. So maybe that's my small little contribution to the world of minimalism. I'm not sure. 
Yes, of course, it could be. Small well, steps talk- are what matters. <laughs> absolutely, right. It, it, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit, if we can, about the blog that drew me to our conversation, 10 Things Brave People Do Differently. Where did this idea come from? You know, before we talk about some of the 10 things, uh, you know, why did you write this? So I wrote this uh, pretty much based on um, somewhat of my own experience. And I was looking online and I didn't really see um, a lot of information about this particular topic. So the article is called, uh, yeah, like 10 things brave people do differently. So I wanted to, I did a little bit of research and I wanted to dive into it a little more. And I picked these characteristics based on my own personal experiences, but also some research that I did as well. Well, we all have had experiences with bravery in life and at work, and that was one of the catalysts for this podcast, was recognizing that this is something most people can relate to, that we look back on our career with either pride, because there's something that we did that included bravery, and we feel really good about it, and it had a real positive impact, or we look back with regret that there's something we didn't say or do, and it leaves a little hole in our heart, right, because we didn't say something, and we can't do anything about it at this point. So, you know, it just continues to erode. But I think you're right. I think all of us can relate to this feeling, emotion or experience with being uh, braver at work. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So let's just talk about some of the characteristics uh, that you mentioned. Uh, The first one is called they embrace failure. I'm not going to fill in the space. Tell us a little bit about where that thought came from and, and what you mean there. Um, so that's what came from basically, you know, when you whenever you start maybe a new job or a new career or something, you have to kind of go into it knowing that you're not going to know everything. <laughs> so, of course, there are going to be some times that you're going to fail. So, for example, for me, um, with my blog, you know, it took a while for me. I'm a full-time blogger now, but it did take a while for me to get there. You know, um, so in the beginning, when I was writing articles, I was like, well, I don't know if this one's going to take off, if this one's going to fail, if people are going to like this. You always have a lot of doubts. But I think embracing those failures and take, taking them and turning them into a learning experience is how you can embrace failure and actually learn from it. So I think that's definitely something that brave people tend to recognize in the end. Right. I think also what you're saying is that brave people recognize that what they might be suggesting or thinking of doing may not be the right answer, right? That it might need modification or there may be options that they need to consider that just because I think you could do something in a different way doesn't mean that that's the only other way to be able to do it, right? So we have to be able to embrace failure, embrace options in respect to, you know, being able to move forward effectively. Yes, absolutely. Number two is they're real and transparent. So tell us a little bit more about how brave people are doing things differently by being real and transparent. So I definitely think transparency is key. And I try to be, you know, with my blog on a personal level, um, as transparent as possible. And I do admire others and I find other people to be brave when they are transparent. So I think basically in the workplace that it is important 
as a company, if you're a CEO, for example, or in management to be as transparent and honest as possible. So people know what to expect, because when your expect expectations are too high, then you're going to be disappointed. But if it's really honest, if it's an honest working environment, I think people tend to appreciate that more. And I think transparency breeds honesty. So that's why I chose that example. Well, I think transparency is a fantastic word, and I think it's true for kind of both sides of the bravery conversation. For me as the leader with whom somebody might want to be brave, I need to create an environment where it's okay to come talk to me and tell me something I might not want to hear or that might be conceived as criticism or constructive criticism, right? So I need to ensure people know that it's okay, that I don't think I'm perfect, that I don't have all the answers. And if you want to come talk to me about something you think I could be doing differently to be more effective, that's great. And then for the speaker or the person who is looking to be brave, I need to know that it's transparency that is bringing me there, right? That I want to say something to my boss or to a colleague that may be a little risky or maybe feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but I know because they're welcoming it that I can do it. So I, I think that's a great word. And I think that it applies to everybody who's involved in a, trans, uh, a bravery conversation. How about how about they ask for help? What do you mean by that as it pertains to a braver person? Yeah, so I think that learning how to, like learning when and how to ask for help is very important. So I remember in one of my jobs when I was working, um, and I was new to the job, I was training, and I didn't know something, but I was, you know, always a little bit afraid to ask for help. Like, because I didn't want to make it seem, you know, you're always trying to, when you first start a job, impress, you know, the boss or impress the other uh, colleagues that you have. So I think learning to know if you need help, having that confidence or having just being comfortable asking for help, I think shows a sign of vulnerability that is actually really brave. So I feel like when people do ask for help when they need it, that it's absolutely something that a brave person would do or is a characteristic of being brave. And, you know, we talk with uh, other guests and other guests talk about the existence of accountability partner, right? So if I want to have a conversation with my boss that I think requires bravery, I can ask a colleague for help and say, hey, I need to talk to Rebecca about something. I want to make sure I say it well, that I say it with respect. But if I don't, she might perceive it as a criticism and might get angry at me, etc. So, you know, would you be available to help me, right? Can I come and you be Rebecca and I'll be the person speaking to you? And how is it you know, how am I saying it to you? Am I saying it well? Am I saying it constructively? And, you know, asking for help, right? I think that's such a critical piece to the bravery equation that you're willing to ask for help in order to make great progress. Yes, exactly. And I don't think, I think a lot of people tend to see it as a sign of weakness, you know, if you ask for help. But I think that we need to change that dynamic a little bit and make, make it more, make it okay for people to ask for help. Well, you used the word a few minutes ago, vulnerability, and there are people today, and you know, I do think that this is the decade of greater empathy, but people who think vulnerability and empathy are signs of weakness, right? That I can't ever let anyone know I don't know what I'm doing, or I can't ever care about you as a person in addition to being an employee, because you know, those are signs of weakness. I will tell you that in my experience working with leaders, 
having higher empathy and showing vulnerability is an incredible sign of strength, right? It just shows people that you know who you are. Everyone knows you're not perfect. So if you're pretending you're perfect, you're not fooling anyone. And that you're open to saying, hey, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that. Let's explore it a little bit more, right? As opposed to, oh, we already know what we're doing and we don't need any more ideas. It's just such a great behavior to demonstrate that, again, creates more bravery in the workplace. Yes, I agree. And I think that people gravitate towards people who are or leaders like this, you know, who are open and vulnerable and tell people about their failures and, and, you know, different things. So. Great. So how about one more, which uh, this is one of my favorites. They don't give up, right? Because oftentimes people who want to be brave, take one swing at the bat. And if they don't hit, they never come back, right? They say, well, that didn't work. I'm never going and having that conversation again. So tell us a little bit more about they don't give up. Yeah, so I think that goes hand in hand with embracing failure, because anytime you start something um, that, you know, it's going to it's a process. And I think that it's important to learn to trust the process and know that maybe you're going to come out on the other side. And, and maybe you won't, and maybe that process wasn't for you. <laughs> but <laughs> in general, I mean, I think that this is definitely important when it comes to being brave in the workplace. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's something about the don't give up that speaks a little bit to transparency and bravery, which is if you attempt to do something and it doesn't work, don't think it'll never work. What you might need to do is ask for help and say, hey, I tried to have a conversation with somebody. It didn't go the way that I hoped. Are there other ways I can have the conversation or revisit it? Because I think it's really important that we do this, right? And don't give up. Keep going back respectfully, of course, but keep going back and speaking with them. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time. If people wanted to chat more with you or find out more about the work that you're currently doing, how can they contact you? Great. So on my website um, at minimalismmadesimple.com or they can find me on Instagram at minimalismmadesimple. Terrific. And I would encourage everybody to go to Minimalism Made Simple and either search for 10 things brave people do differently. I think we talked about five or six of them and there are 10, right? So uh, there's 10 things brave people do differently. So Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.